0: So, you can open up your Bibles to um, Luke 8, 4 through, verses 4-15 through 15 is where we're going to be. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I thought about complaining about the fact that the heat is coming back today, but then uh, I realized what's going on in the rest of the country, and that just doesn't seem right. So, I think we will survive, and our prayers go with the, uh, the rest of our nation, and really the rest of the world. So we're in uh, Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 4 through 15. It's our second time dealing with this text. Um, We'll be here this week and next, I think. Let me read it. We'll pray and dive in. When a great crowd was gathering, people from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Would you pray with me, guys? God, we well, we want to do what this text says even now. We want to lay ourselves, lay our hearts open like soil before you, the sower. We want to ask you to sow your word deep inside us. Let the seed of, of your gospel take root in me. That we pray that today you would give us ears to hear. We pray that today you would allow us to hear in the voice of the Son, in the words of the Bible, the very voice and words of God. Would you say that your word is seed? I'm praying it would bear fruit in us today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so last time when we were in this text, which was now two weeks ago, Tolu did an awesome job last week. I've been chewing on his message all week long. Um, but we were in this text two weeks ago now, and last time, what we uh, could say that we dealt with primarily uh, was that phrase there that Jesus kind of ends this discourse of his to the crowd. It, you find it in verse 8b, the second part of verse 8, when he comes out after giving the parable and he, call, and he calls, it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's how he ends this parable to the crowd. And it's what we gave our time to last time. I I made the case there that God has to move on a heart in a profound and fundamental way. If this fallen man, this spiritually deaf man is, is going to actually hear in the words of the son, the very words of God. Like for me to have ears to hear the truth of God in this, God has to move on me in a decisive, in a fundamental way. And only sovereign grace can do this sort of thing for a fallen man like me. So we've dealt with this text at a fundamental level now, but there is a lot more that we can and should say about it. This text is a lot about a lot more than just, you know, God giving us ears to hear. There's all sorts of rich imagery and, and other connections we can make. And so we're going to spend, like I said, this week and next on this. My agenda for this morning is actually quite simple. I simply want to focus on this idea of the Word of God as seed. The Word of God as seed. You, you, you see that there um, right as Jesus begins to explain kind of what his parable means uh, to his disciples. Now, it makes me feel good that these guys who've been following with Jesus have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> you know, for me, as a Bible teacher, sometimes I follow Jesus and I go, Jesus, I don't know what. In the world, you're saying, well, these guys come to Jesus go, what were you talking about out there? What was it? I was lost. And the first thing Jesus says to them as he goes to explain this parable is there in verse 11. He says, the seed is the word of God. The word of God is like seed, in other words, this imagery is so rich with implications. I'm just going to draw out three for us here this morning. First, the word of God engenders the life of God, meaning it, it, it brings about its sources. It initiates carries. I couldn't think of the right word. Engenders might not be the right word, but the word of God engenders the life of God. Second, the word of God gets under the skin. And third, the word of God develops organically. There's your roadmap for this morning. Let's dive in. Um, first, the word of God en- engenders the life of God. Um, before I can take us into this one, what I need to do with you just for a moment is is talk about what this word of God even is. Um, because for Luke, in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts that he also wrote, what we come to find through a kind of close study of that is that this this term, the Word of God, for Luke, comes to almost have a technical meaning. Yes, it can stand for the words of God in general. But what we come to find is that for Luke, it in particular often refers to the Gospel. So not just... Uh, commands or you know, Old Testament instruction or this or that story or historical narrative, but in particular, the good news of the kingdom of God that has arrived in Jesus Christ. That, for Luke and throughout his uh, works, really is preeminently what he means when he says the word of God. Now, there's evidence for this even in the immediate context could have taken you all over the place. I'll just take you right where we're at. Help you see it. Because we know that Jesus is ultimately the sower. Right? I mean, when he's talking about this parable, it's not just kind of coming out of left field. He, he, he's talking about what he's doing in that moment to these people, with these people. He is sowing the seed of the Word of God. Well, is there any indication in the context what this Word of God entailed for him as he was talking well yes there is if you go back up to verse one luke makes it plain he jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing what the good news the gospel of the kingdom of god So the seed before it is anything else, the word before it is anything else, is the gospel. The good news of kingdom arrival in Jesus Christ. And if we were to fill that out a little bit later, like Luke does when he gets into Acts, what he means is, man, it is the good news concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, whereby he ushers in the kingdom of God in full and calls us into it makes way for us sinners to come in to it. So the seed is the word, and the word is the gospel in particular. Now, what do I mean by this idea that the word of God engenders the life of God? I want to camp here probably for most of, well, this is where we'll spend most of our time. Is on this first uh, implication. What I mean when I'm talking about the word of God. Engendering the life of God is. The word is the way that God gets his life to us. It's how his life starts to. Take root in Nick Weber's life. It is the container so to speak. It is the vehicle so to speak. It's how he gets his power, his life to me. That's what I think the word of God as seed means. The life of the plant is in the seed. If you don't if you don't scatter seed in the soil, there will be no life there, right? Because tucked within the, the shell of that seed is, is explosive life. Right? And so, like the seed the, 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 the that we're kind of like the that goes in the ground and, and before you know it it 's almost like a stick of dynamite went off underground somewhere and and things are shooting downward and upward and outward that 's kind of like what 's going on in my life as the gospel is proclaimed and starts to take root there's a life force there it 's how God gets his life to us. the word is essentially the, the bombshell, you could say, of God's power. It's the courier of God's grace, the vehicle of God's energy. We receive it by faith, yes, but as the word goes forth in some mysterious way, it's like the spirit meets the word in those moments and brings about power and life and transformation. It's a lot like day one of creation, right? Where, if you recall, the world is, what does it say, formless and void, and there was darkness over the surface of the deep. Spirits hovering over the waters, waiting for the word to come. Let there Be light. The word is spoken, the spirit, as it were, meets that word in the air, and the universe erupts with light. There's a life, there's a power contained in the word of God. And that's the sort of thing that happens with us. That's what I pray for every week. That, as the word goes forth, the spirit meets it, and light and life starts taking place, starts starts going off in your heart. If you don 't believe me that that 's what the scriptures say that the preaching of the word is like and and, and the gospel is like second uh, corinthians four six makes it abundantly plain. the God who said, "Let there be light." <laughs> Is the one who, when the gospel's preached, says, let there be light in your heart and opens your eyes. Now, I, I want to be clear about something. The gospel is not just for day one of your Christian life. The gospel is not just for day one, it's for days two through seven. You could say it's for every day of the week. Uh, the concern in our text, as we've said before, is, is bearing fruit, essentially. There's all these soils, but only one bears fruit. Well, the gospel as seed helps to kind of serve as a corrective here for some of the ways we can go off in how we understand the gospel, how we think about the word of God, the gospel. And the bearing fruit in our lives. A lot of times what happens is we kind of think that the um, gospel is how we begin. The gospel is day one, but days two through seven are up to me. Like I've got to try to get that fruit out by my own strength. Or that we start with the gospel, but we kind of finish the race uh, with a little Gatorade, a little power bar. Getting ourselves through, gritting, gritting our teeth and going. But that's not what this imagery of the seed allows us to do with the gospel. If the gospel is seed, then that logic does not line up at all. The line of thinking that I just gave contradicts the the image that Jesus gives us in our text. Because here's what we see. The seed and the fruit essentially compose an organic whole. Do you know what I mean by that? You can't cut one thing off from the other and have it meaningful anymore. If you try to go after the fruit without its connection organically to the seed, then you cut the fruit off from its life source from its power source, from its nutrient source. And therefore, you know, this is one of the reasons why I don't typically buy my wife cut flowers. I buy her those orchids you can get at Costco or Trader Joe's. Why? Because the things like sit by her sink and they're actually planted and they grow and, and they, they, they produce flowers, you know, in season and then in another season and another season. If I get her cut flowers, what happens? Well, it's cut from its root, cut from its source of life. And therefore, man, some of those things last a couple of days. My honey, that that's not a metaphor of my love for you, I promise. You know? So the seed, the fruit compose an organic whole. The life is in the seed and it keeps bringing life, so to speak. I know we're talking about roots and other things, but that's what's going on here. There's this organic whole. It's all vitally connected. Therefore, if in all my concern for bearing fruit, I neglect the seed, I cut myself off from the thing I need most. I cut myself off from the root, from the stem, from the branches that came before. I cut myself off from the gospel. And I cut myself off from the engine, the powerhouse of of the, the Christian life. So if I care about bearing fruit in my life, and I assume a lot of you are here because you do, I need to make sure, we need to make sure we're grounded, we're rooted in the gospel. We're not going anywhere. We're not pressing on and out from it. No way. We're pressing deeper into it. And in that, there's this kind of explosive life that moves outward. The people that hold the gospel most deeply, most closely, are the ones who go the furthest with it. Does that make sense? And grow the strongest. If I care about bearing fruit, I'm going to press into the person and work of Jesus for me. i got to ask, am I resting in him? Am I trusting in his finished work on the cross? Like, it is finished, he says. That means something. Not just on day one of my Christian life, but every day. It is finished. Or what he comes to Paul and says in Second Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient. Is his grace sufficient? Or am I relying on my own uh, innovation, my own energy? Am I, in the language of our text, there in verse 15, holding fast to the word? that We know now is the gospel, the word of the kingdom. Am I holding fast to the word? Because that's the only way to grow and yield a hundredfold. Verse 8. You want to yield a hundredfold, you hold fast to the gospel. Ironically, the moment you go after that hundredfold fruit in your own strength, you you cut yourself off from the very source of it, what will get you there. This is the sort of thing um, Paul is writing to the Colossian church about. You've got to hear this. This is one of my favorite. I get to bring out a few of my favorite texts in in all the, the Bible this morning, which is great. But he's writing to the Colossian church about this very thing. And I want you to listen to how he leverages this same metaphor about seed and, and, and fruit and all the things that come in between. Colossians 1, 3-8. Paul writes this. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it, the gospel, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, if you're just listening, perhaps the connections were harder to make. But here's what Paul does. He says, listen, this is the word of truth, which, let's be clear, is the gospel of God's grace. It is preached. The spirit, he says down there in verse 8, is now at work. The spirit meets this word with, with power. The words are heard, he talks about, understood, believed, or in other words, held fast to, clung to. And then the fruit of love starts to hang from the branches of your life. He just traces the love that he's heard from Epaphras and others is going on in this Colossians church, Colossian church. He traces that love back for, through the branches, the stem, the root, down to the seed of the gospel. He says, man, it's an organic hole. We thank God for the work he's doing, that the gospel, the gospel is bearing fruit. That's where the life comes from, not just day one kind of life, but every day of your life. It's the gospel, it's his grace, it's hearing and believing and trusting and rooting yourself in it. That causes you to start moving in love for others. Start bearing the kind of fruit that God cares about. Not necessarily getting this or that done at work productivity, like we talked about last week, but a different kind of thing. Something in your heart that changes the way you go about everything you do. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, love. Something that only the gospel can bring about in a people. Tim Keller speaks eloquently on this point. I've been quoting him recently quite a bit. I've found great encouragement in his ministry. I commend him to you as a, a solid um, pastor, scholar. Uh, let me read this to you. It's awesome. Amazing. We never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Like I start there and then I move on. Rather, it is more like the hub. The hub. In a wheel of truth. Like it's at the center and it shoots out a thousand different ways, but it stays the central thing. The gospel, here's another way of putting it, is not just the ABCs. Like for beginners, let's do the beginner Christian class. Here's the gospel. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make progress. In the kingdom, we are not justified by the gospel and then sanctified by obedience, but the gospel is the way we grow and are renewed. It is the solution to each problem, the key to each closed door, the power through every barrier. It is very common in the church to think as follows. The gospel is for non Christians. One needs it to be saved, but once saved, you grow through hard work and obedience. But Colossians 1 6, the text I just showed you, shows that this is a mistake. Hard work that is not arising from and in line with the gospel will not sanctify you. It will strangle you. All our problems come from a failure to apply the gospel. Thus, when Paul left the Ephesians, he committed them it's a text I read to you often "to the word of His grace, which can build you up," Acts 20:32. How does the child of God get built up? The word of grace. Hearing the gospel and believing, Paul says in Galatians 3, another one of my favorite texts. I was a legalist. That's why these texts meant so much to me. I uh, perhaps raised Catholic. Perhaps it's just in my nature. I don't know. But I thought, man, I, if I don't keep up with this, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose God's favor. I'm going to lose his love. Sure, it, it started my Christian life, but now if I, I'm in big trouble. Galatians three says, man, are you foolish Galatians who's bewitched you? (laughs) Why? Why? You start by the, by, by the grace, by the, by the gospel of God, and then try to perfect yourself in the flesh according to the law. Is it not by hearing with faith that the spirit was at first given to you? Well, guess what? It's by hearing with faith that the spirit continues to be supplied. Don't leave the gospel. It's how you get built up. It's how you bear fruit. So, what does this mean for us? We're going to flesh this out a little bit more in a moment, but what it means is if I care for bearing fruit at all, if I want to grow, if I want to change, if I want to see fruit in my life, i got to root myself deeply into a gospel. I need to go back and hear those ancient heralds. Look for the, the cross on every page of Scripture. Sow that seed in me again, God. I need to go back to the good old news. It, it occurred to me as I was preparing this that the gospel is the only news it should make the news every day. It should be front page news of Nick Weber 's life every day. headlines every day. Read all about it. You are no longer in your sin. Jesus is risen. God the Father is pleased with you. Stop trying to work so hard to get you know the acceptance of people. You have it from God. Stop trying so hard to fight sin. The way you fight sin is by coming into the pleasure of the Father. Sin won't look pleasurable anymore. Headlines every day. This news, old as it is, is always relevant. Sometimes news comes in so fast these days and it just goes right out. Things become irrelevant in a week hardly forget about charlottesville now because of what happened in houston and now what's going on in florida and we're just moving along the gospel needs to be top front page headlines every day or it's not going to go well for me or you that's why by the way i preach the way that i do every now and then i give you a little insight into why i do the things that i do hopefully you see that it's biblical <laughs> If you've been in here sometimes, you're like, man, why are we always talking about the cross? Why are we always, you know, whatever text we're in, we're going back to the gospel. We know the gospel, Nick. Jesus died. He rose. Great. Let's get to some pragmatic stuff. Let's get to the practicals or let's get to the, you know, those, 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 those doctrines out there that to everybody, everybody, everybody wants to argue about. I said, man, listen. If that's where we're at with him, we don't yet fully understand the gospel. At least not the way that Martin Luther understood it. Listen to this. The truth of a gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. (laughs) So if you feel like you're getting beat with the gospel, then I'm doing my job. I care about your harvest. I care about fruit in your life. I care about the life of God being engendered in you. So that's where it comes from. The gospel. The word of God engenders the life of God. Implication number two. The word of God gets under the skin. I want to ask now how exactly, we're just going to kind of move this discussion a little bit. Forward, although it's going to remain somewhat similar. I want to ask, how exactly does the word of God, the gospel in particular, affect all of of this fruit in us? Uh, the picture of the seed again comes in to help us, because when you think about a seed and how you plant, well, you put that seed inside the soil, right? The seed goes. In. It does work underground long before things ever come out. If we have our garden and it's like, sometimes we're like, man, did we plant something there or not? Where are those carrots? Are they ever going to come? Where are those whatever? You know, that's why you buy them as little, little, you know, already saplings because who wants to wait for the seed? But it's doing work underground. You don't even realize it. The gospel is doing that in us. It goes inside. It gets under our skin. It's dropped like a seed in our hearts. It changes us there first, and then it starts to work on the branches. I said I was going to bring you to another one of my favorite texts. Well, Romans 7 4 is one of those. And again, it kind of helps move this discussion forward a little bit because what we find in, in in the scriptures, in the Bible, and what's really presented to us in this verse, there there are essentially two different ways, two different strategies you can have to try to bear fruit. When you boil it down, you want to try to bear fruit for God. You want to try to grow in righteousness. There are two essential strategies you can take, and they are radically different. One looks at at the law of God. Looks at myself and says Gear up, we got this. Here we go. Kinda like the guys getting ready to do half dome, you know, we're training, we're getting our backpacks on, we're getting all our gear. It's just, it's gonna be sweaty. But we can do it. The other the other looks at the law, looks at self, says No way. <laughs> no way. Man cannot attain to the holiness of God. Then our eyes are directed to the cross of Christ. Our eyes are directed to Jesus. Say, so wait a minute. Hold up. I can't do it, but he did. He did it for me at Calvary. And he can do it in and through me now. In and through me now by his spirit. He's coming in. The gospel comes in. Let me show you uh, uh, this from Romans 7, 4. I'm going to read down to verse 6. Paul says this, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Here's what this is saying. Try as we may take that first strategy Try as we may in our own strength, we will only bear fruit for death. He says the law is going to bear fruit for death. And you want, you want to know how? Because you're going to do it in your own strength. And even if you get somewhere with it, you're going to turn into a Pharisee. The kind of sin that Jesus loathed the most. I'm righteous. You're not. <laughs> fruit for Death. We only bear fruit for God if the gospel gets inside of us and changes us there. If we die with Christ and are raised up to new life in him by his spirit. That's where I'm going with gets under my skin. It changes my heart. That's the language of death and life. That's the language of being born again. That's the language of new nature, new identity, new fundamental core that's what the gospel does you 're not going to push Nick Weber around externally, like with a bulldozer and 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 move the ground and maybe get something to happen no it 's not going to bear any fruit. The ground is still dead it 's not how you get fruit. You get fruit by dropping a little seed in there, and it will do more than the bulldozer ever could. so forget the law forget and go to Jesus. I want to ask that question here again what does this mean for you I'm going to fill it out a bit more now we've seen perhaps a little bit more about how the gospel works do, do you have those things that you so wish you could change you so wish you could grow in like man, i've been a christian for 10 years how is this still an issue you got any of those Anxiety grips your heart on a regular basis. Fear of man just owns you. You can't even sleep at night. Some sort of addiction, secret addiction, that nobody knows about you, God. Pride. What do you do with those things? Where do you go? Here's what this text in Romans 7, 4, here's what the gospel as seed tells us to do. Stop it with the laws at first. Okay. This thing's, they're good. They're helpful later. (laughs) But stop it with the strategies. Stop it with the rules. Stop it with the laws. And run to the cross of Christ. Run to the one who, who died for you. And all this junk you're dealing with, and experience the sunshine of God's love afresh. Die with Him there, and let His Spirit regenerate, renew, uh, infuse you on the inside with new life—not just external conformity. Accountability is great. Strategies and 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 and, and, and you know barriers, boundaries, whatever, good, helpful. But it can't do what only the gospel can do, and that is change you from the inside out. Get inside and change you there. So we go to Jesus, we die with Him so we can rise with Him by the Spirit. We don't go beating ourselves up with the law. We let him resurrect us with his grace. We let his seed come in so that now it's grace that defines me, grace that fuels me, grace that keeps me, grace that changes me. That's how this works. So for the Christian, we grow, we bear fruit, not first, not fundamentally, not primarily by exertion. That exertion will have its place, but only once regeneration, transformation, inside stuff has, has gone on by the gospel. I was thinking about this. There's some historians talk about the Protestant work ethic. They look back at, like, the Puritans and they go, man, and the guys coming out of the Reformation and they go, man, these guys were nuts in terms of the work ethic, the amount of strain and work that they did. But here's what's amazing. They were the strongest proponents of justification by faith alone. It is amazing what justification by faith alone can produce in a people. The moment you really get it, I mean really get it, that there is nothing you have to do to be right with God, in that moment, you are unleashed to do a thousand things in love for God. Did you hear that? The moment you realize Christ is enough. I need him and only him. His grace is sufficient. That's the moment that, that entrepreneurial, missional, you know, crazy kinds of love starts pushing out of you. That's when the Protestant work ethic starts to come out. I don't have to do all this, but man, I want to. Think about it with me. Think about how the seed changes you on the inside. When the gospel comes and God shows you his love, say you're the type that struggles with anxiety, like myself. What does that mean when you see man? Trust his own son for me. He says he's not going to withhold. If he didn't withhold his son, he's not going to withhold any good thing from me. What does it do to the, the heart that struggles with anxiety when you get that? When you come in and you press into that again, you sow that seed there. He's in control. He loves me. He's watching over me. Anxiety melts away, can melt away. Because you know you're cared for by one who's not going to let you go. Or if you're the type who struggles with fear of man and who doesn't. want people's acceptance, right? Well, what does it mean when the gospel is planted in deep and transforms you at the heart level? And you start to recognize that the Father accepts you. Apart from anything, he knows you better than you know yourself. All your filth. And he accepts you in his son, loves you, delights in you. What does that mean? That's why people talk about the audience of one. Because suddenly the other audience doesn't matter as much. But it's a battle between flesh and spirit. It is a battle. And so we keep coming back to the seed. Keep coming back to the life source. Keep coming back to that which can transform us. And can get inside, get under our skin. I mentioned addiction. I mentioned the pleasures that God brings in His Son that are available to us in the Spirit. When we tap into that, addictions lose their power. Let me uh, press in then to the third note. So the Word of God engenders the life of God The the word of God gets under the skin and now third and finally the word of God develops organically. All I've said up to this point, except for a few hints here or there, um, might lead us to expect great spectacle, uh, immediate results. We're talking about the gospel as like this explosive power, um, Bringing light and life. We're talking about, you know, the bombshell of His grace. We're talking about transformation at the core of my being. I mean, that sounds like significant, radical fireworks kind of stuff. We might be expecting spectacle. Something to see. Woo! We are talking about all those things. But at the same time, we're also talking about something that takes a long, long time to work out. Here's where the word of God as seed, the seed is the word of God, comes in to help us again. Because Jesus doesn't say that the word of God is a silver bullet. He doesn't say, listen, I, you know, let me explain the parable to you. The word of God is a silver bullet. You take that, it's going to, you load that in your gun. It's going to take care of every sin issue you ever had instantaneously. It's going to take care of every suffering issue you've ever had instantaneously. And say that. He says it's a seed. And I mentioned how the seeds are growing in my garden. It's slow going. It's organic. It moves from seed to Roots to stuff I don't even know is going on down there. To finally maybe a little stem, and you celebrate, woo! To like a branch, and I mentioned two weeks ago that we've uh, been eating cantaloupe from our garden. I wonder if you noticed the little detail I gave there—that we planted this garden back in early spring. And we just had our first cantaloupe. We have watermelon. We don't even have watermelon yet. They're still this big. I sit they're watching like, are you serious? Winter's going to, well, actually, winter might not come this year, but on- under most circumstances, winter's going to come. I'm not even going to see this thing. It's so slow. The process of change and growth and development and bearing fruit is sometimes a lot slower than we wish it would be. It's not always the case. There are flashy moments. My conversion was pretty radical. Not everybody's is. And there are times where we make significant headway suddenly in our sanctification. But a lot of times it's slow going. It's tough sledding. It's organic and seed to root to stem to branch to maybe a little bit of fruit. So this again is what makes the bulldozer, the law, self-exertion start to seem appealing. It promises results a little quicker for us. Maybe, maybe we need to get, maybe I'm not growing, I'm not doing this because I gotta get the next step in my devotional plan or I gotta find a new strategy or get more people in to hold me accountable, whatever it is. And we, we get, we grow dissatisfied. Not just with our own growth, but sometimes with the growth of others. That's where it really comes out. This has got me thinking about, um, uh, well, Megan and I were essentially talking about this very thing uh, the last week with our, our girls. Um, you know, they're in school and one of them gets in trouble. Or maybe both of them, I'm not sure. <laughs> but here's what happened. We're sitting there thinking, man, let's get out the bulldozer. You know, the temptation is, let's, let's bring down law, right? Let's, let's, let's make this change now so that we don't have to talk to the teacher again about their behavior being, you know, uh, out of line. Cause there's something in us that, 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 that gets embarrassed or wants to, wants people to know, man, we're doing a good job as parents. So the temptation is to then see your child who is out of line or whatever, and I start thinking, man, we got to get fruit on there, and we got to get, get fruit quick. We're not going long-term here, we're going now. And so we start thinking about bulldozers, start thinking about how can we you know, use the law? How can we... Let me ask you this. How many of you uh, buy organic? Shop organic. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm sorry. But it, it occurs to me, that um, when you go to the store and you're looking at these different options, a lot of times it seems with the organic option you pay more and it looks like you kind of get the short end of the stick for it. You get you pay more in price and you get uh, less in product. Like I'm looking at the strawberries side by side. Okay, wait a minute. The strawberries that are organic have like little bugs crawling in them. <laughs> They're like this big, you know. There's like... There's like, uh, they're maybe a little brown. Then the strawberries over here, they're not organic. I mean, they're like the size of my fist. Like, how did they get that big? They're like as red as your granny's lipstick, you know? You're like, wow, this is amazing. We want to get that. Why would we go organic when we can get that? Or, or, or think about, have you ever gotten the, the rotisserie chickens at Costco? You do those? I mean you can't tell me that that's organic. I mean these things are like the size of little dogs, right? They're like they're like this big. You come home, you could feed your family for a week with these things, right? You know what I'm talking about? You go to the regular grocery, you're like, what is what is that? But Costco. But so here's the temptation that we have. Organic don't look so good. Organic looks small. Let's get steroids in there. Let's use the law. Let's make something happen quick. And so back to what was going on with, with my girls, it's like you you, you want to put some additives in there. You want to get the bulldozer out. You want to change it fast. But that will come back to bite you in the end. You eat that strawberry, who knows what kind of pesticides or whatever else is on it. You know, you eat that, that chicken and whatever. You know, it's all these theories about what it's actually doing to our bodies these days. Pay the price for it. And so we, as parents, look at our kids and go, man, Let's play the long game here. We might, sure, I could I could scowl at my kids and get them, you know, to behave. I could shame them. I could guilt them. I could incentivize them. I could do the law thing and get that behavior. Or I could preach grace. I could sow the seed of the gospel into their hearts and let it take time. Let it take time. Let it grow. Give them an atmosphere of grace, do whatever we do in the light of the cross. Sure, are we gonna have rules? Are we gonna have you know laws, so to speak, punishments, rewards? Yes, but it's all it's all within the atmosphere of grace, of God's grace. So if they do something bad, shame them, scold them, ridicule them, how could you? No. Lead them to the cross. Man, it's It's sin, daddy's a sinner too. We need help. But you know what God says through the cross? You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I am so ready to help you. I'm so ready to help change you deep inside. Why'd you do what you did? Well, because I wanted this one. Yeah, okay. God can get in there and help us. He can help us at the deepest level. Let's go to him. Or kids do something great. What do you do? Now that's what I'm talking about. Well, yes. But also, man, we see God at work in you. We see the, gra- the the grace of God taking root in you. We celebrate that. It's all done in light of the cross. We just want to sow seeds of the gospel and wait for the harvest. And that's the key. It's organic. It, it might not develop overnight. They might not be perfectly clean on the outside. But God, we, we're aiming for the inside. Right? We're playing the long game with our kids, and I invite you to do that with anyone you have a, a desire to minister to. See the gospel, take, scatter seed, scatter grace. Sow that and wait, pray. But it's not just true, this principle, is not just true for um, the people that we hope to minister to. It's true for ourselves as well. And this is where it glows. Because the fact remains, we can get severely discouraged, right? With The things we wish we would see growth in. The things that we wish, that were, like, how am I seriously still struggling? And so what can happen is, is we can shame ourselves. We can condemn ourselves. We can hear the voice of the accuser of the brethren and agree with it. Yeah, that's right. I'm never going to get over this. Forget it. But the idea of the seed... Brings corrective again. It's just, keep coming back. Keep coming back to the cross. Open your heart up like soil before the sower. Ask him to come in and show you who you are again in him. Remind me of my my identity. Let me draw from your resources, Jesus, your power. And give me patience. As you were patient with me. I, I think that... Is at least part of what is implied in the way Jesus ends our text there in verse 15 when he says this As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and what? Bear fruit with patience. Like it's not going to happen overnight. Patience. Stay with the seed. Keep trusting in grace. Don't settle for quick fixes or silver bullets. Bearing fruit takes time. It takes patience. It's a fitting way that Jesus ends his discussion there with his disciples. It's a fitting way for us to close our discussion here this morning. We wait on God at the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that your word Is seed. And I pray that perhaps this seed was sown today. Or scattered today. That it would take root in our heart God. I pray that we would not leave from the gospel. That your life source would be what we connect deeply into. I pray it would transform us at the underground level. And I pray that you would help us be patient. With others and with ourselves, as you don't drop what you start, you bring it to completion in your time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.